everyone. Thanks for joining me on the Mogul Bar Show. I'm Gabe. With me, I have Dr. Jamie Foster. She is a professor at the University of Florida, space biologist. Um, she sends squids to space. I'm just really breaking it down in layman's term. That is completely not what she does. But let's go ahead and hear from Jamie and hear what she has to say. Um, Jamie, go ahead and tell us excuse me dr foster please go ahead and tell us um, oh no please call me jamie absolutely please call me jamie um it's welcome thank you so much for uh, well the nice welcome gabe and i'm happy to talk to you about the the squids in space i like to call them cephalonauts you know they're cephalopod astronauts so we're we're making a new term here called cephalonauts Uh, that's my science humor you know so i'm with Um, that (laughs) no we're we've been really working on a project that will ultimately look at how bacteria talk to animal tissues in the space environment. This is what this is all about is is trying to understand human health um, and using the squid as kind of a model for us to get at those kinds of bigger questions about how our microbes are essential for our bodies, how they're helping all sorts of our physiology, whether it's our immune system, digestive system, uh, neurophysiology, behavior. It's turning out that microbes do so much for us, and we have very little understanding about how those interactions happen, let alone in a stress environment like spaceflight. So as astronauts go further and further away from Earth and for longer and longer durations, we have to really make sure we understand what's going to happen to their bodies and and they're taking their microbes with us. So we need to learn more about that. That's amazing. Um, I was (laughs) coughing. I wanted to make sure that didn't get picked up. But um, (laughs) I think one um, one of the things that fascinates me is the way that this is thought of, because in my non-scientific brain, I'm just thinking, A, how do you come up with this? It's just like, what brings you down that path? I'm fascinated by the train of thought that sort of takes you from point A, like we have a real problem we need to solve, to B, let's see how we can translate this and make this an actionable item to see let's try this in space let's try this you know like you said in the high stress environment um it's just like that is absolutely fascinating to me well it's a long process you know it's not like you can just come up with a space flight experiment and be ready to go in a couple months It, it really is a long duration process and that's why you know it's been a gap the squid went up in 2011 on the last two space shuttle flights and here we are 10 years later because it just takes a while to validate your ideas to propose your ideas and have them reviewed and and hopefully positively reviewed by nasa and and you get support but just to go back to the idea of why squid in space and where that came from is i actually was working on the i've always been interested in the concept of symbiosis how are two organisms living together as one essentially and uh, you know since i was a you know in graduate school at the university of hawaii i've been really interested in how microbes shape animal health and so i was working on the squid um, as a model for my phd research 
And I remember clearly in 1998, actually, I just thought these animals would be such a good model for space research. I wanted to be an astronaut myself. And I thought, well, even if I can't get there, maybe my, you know, an experiment I do could get there. And I thought I'm going to propose to, you know, use the squid system because what makes the squid so unique is that humans have thousands of different species that interface with our body. Like our gut system alone has hundreds and hundreds of different taxa, different organism types of organisms. So thousands of different organisms are interfacing with their body. But the squid has a special organ called the light organ that helps it glow in the dark. And we can talk about that later, but there's only one bacterium in there. So you have one bacterium and one animal host, which makes it so much simpler to ask questions of what is, how is the bacteria, you know, turning on this development and how is the squid responding to the presence of the bacteria? And it just makes it so easy. So when I knew how easy that's or simple the symbiosis was, I thought, wow, this might be a, a way that I could get involved in the space biology program. And this is a way I can learn more about how to keep astronauts and, and animals healthy in the space environment. So it started off with just an idea um, as a student. And then as I finally got a job as a professor, I had kind of the ability to write a small little proposal. I mean, it was only $5,000 was the first proposal. And that I know that's a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things of like building spacecraft and sending missions to Mars, and it, it, that's a drop in the bucket. But um, I took that small little grant and then I turned it into the next grant and then the next grant. And then finally now here we are getting ready two weeks from, from launch day and uh, the squid are, you know, our real proper science experiment is, is going um, up into space. So it, I would tell people like if you're a student and you have ideas, just hang on to those ideas because you never know when the opportunity is going to come for you to turn that idea into your dream or whatever it is that you you want to do. Or And I never thought I'd be a space biologist. I wanted to be an astronaut, but I never thought I'd be doing this. So so just hang on to those ideas and they'll, you never know. That's interesting. What was because, you know, you're saying you start off with an idea, you started off with, you know, uh, fairly small grant in the grand scheme of things and right what was it like to get buy-in like what what was where there's there's always skeptics there's always a cynic somewhere that doesn't want to like release the purse strings so to speak and it's just saying well mm, let's focus on something more earthly or something more tangible um, well, because, that is true yeah I'll let you finish your idea Sorry. no no I'm, no it's okay I mean I guess my my question is how did you overcome that? I, I feel that, you know, with science specifically, there's so much unknowns because so much is theoretical until you can prove it. Um, a lot of times people just want to hold back until there's something tangible, which at that point mm -hmm. it's maybe is too late um, for you to get in. Yeah, it's true that science, um, especially, you know, in tight budgets that we've had over the last, you know, geez, few decades, that NASA, you know, NASA, National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, you have to kind of prove your ideas that they're going to be feasible and work before they're going to give you several hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, whatever the grant happens to be. So you 
So, but a lot of universities, a lot of, even NASA is not completely risk adverse and mm. they do want to foster the next thing. They do want the next, we call it the moonshot idea. What's like the big uh, frontier for science. And so they often have these little seed grants and that's kind of like the little one that I had where you, it, you, they'll give you a tiny pot of money to kind of test your ideas and you can, you know, hopefully succeed in them or maybe fail or tweak them. But once you have, you, you know, a little preliminary data to suggest that this is going to work, what you can do is you'll submit the grant and it'll be peer reviewed by, by other scientists. And they are not out to get you, although sometimes it feels like they're out to get you. But, um, you know, you have to have a thick skin in science, I guess. But what they're trying to do is just pick the best science and the best questions. So if you have an idea, it might take one or two two or three times through the process to fine tune, to refine your ideas. And that's how the scientific process works is like, you're not going to have the best idea come or it's rare to have the best idea right away and you don't need any, you know, help or modifications. So hopefully the community is helping you and the space biology community is really welcoming. They want new talent. They want new people with new ideas and they're encouraging that they have a whole series of grant opportunities for early career folks where you're just competing against the early career people, as opposed to not these like an old fart like me. So you, you're, you're in in a separate competition so that it's fair and you can you know help people get started and nasa does that a lot of the other agencies do that to help really foster new ideas and new growth and in, in all sorts of new directions gen x there's nothing old about us gen x we're, we're always <laughs> we're always young forever young <laughs> so um I think that's amazing. I, I love to hear about the tight-knit community um, because I think it's great to empower the newer generation of scientists. We, we, we need that. I think that's the only way that you're going to continue to grow. And a lot of times that's our legacy, whether it's with our children, grandchildren, um, and in a way, you know, this newer generation, they are, you know, your offspring, so to speak, because, you know, you're helping them, you're, you're fostering them, you're teaching, you're helping them grow in this field, in this profession. So I, right. I, I admire that so much when, you know, especially, you know, one thing that's been always lacking, I think, in the scientific field, because you hear about it all the time is, you know, getting more young girls to like buy into the sciences. And, you know, you, here you are, a woman, a PhD, you know, you have the renown of, you know, you stood in front of a rocket, you send a squid to space, you've done so much amazing research, and you have an amazing, you know, program at the University of Florida, where you have a lot of alumni that have come through there and have gone on to go work at other programs. I think that's in itself is so empowering, because people can see that and hold on to it and be like, it's, you know, it's not all about the glitz and the glamour. It's about the hard work that sort of, you know, brings results in. And I think right. I love that because the results speak for itself. Your track record speaks for itself in what you're doing. Um, and I just think that's amazing when you can have that. So what, but what you're, is but you're always like? building on someone else. I mm -hmm. mean, just like the alumni, I'm building on the shoulders of my PhD advisor and my my mentors throughout my career. And it's been there's a you know a very a few people that have been 
you know, I was the first person to get my bachelor's degree in, in, you know, in my family. So it was one of those things that uh, I didn't have a lot of uh, guidance on how does one have a career in science? I mean, no one was a scientist in my family. So it always comes from your teachers or your mentors. And I think that, that even myself, you're building on others' work, and then I'm helping to train the next generation so that they're going to build on my work, and the process continues. So you're you're never alone, and you're never doing this in an isolation. There's always others that have helped you get to where you are, and you then lend a hand and help others get to where they need to be. And that's science, you know, that's the process of of and I, that's what I like about science yeah. is it's constant growth and layering of new ideas on top of old. And, and sometimes you change the paradigm yeah. and that takes a while and maybe you ruffle some feathers, but over time, that's the great thing about science is the truth will prevail because you can do an experiment a thousand times. And if it all shows, you know, in different ways, um, but, but, you know, you will find the answer eventually. And, yeah. and that's what I love about science. Excellent. Let's talk. You said your family. What was what was your family's reaction when you told them you wanted to become a scientist? Like, what was that like? I'm just. I, <laughs> I, I always want to know understood. people's family. Oh, my. You know, my grandfather was like, "Okay, so you got your bachelor's. You're going to go get a job now, right?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm going to go to graduate school." I was like, "Okay, then you're going to get a job." <laughs> they didn't quite have this concept of, yeah. you know, what what grad what research really was. It was um, a a little different for them um my family was always supportive everybody yeah. was always they just they couldn't tell me what the best way to get into grad school was you know but they could definitely be supportive of anything i did my family it didn't matter what i did as long as i was happy and and doing it well um they didn't care what i was doing and oh, that's cool um, so I've, i'm very lucky in that way that i have had a supportive family okay Excellent. I, I always love to hear that because I'm always interested to hear what people's families because not people about are, what they not do. everybody does. Not everyone if yeah. you're not a doctor or a lawyer, then you're 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 shaming the family, right? So, I, so well, it's, it's always been interesting. Background. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I look at my family and with my family, it's just the, the way it is, it's like they grew up working in factories. So their mm -hmm. mind is like work is nine to five. So they can never understand when it's, you know, 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. and I'm still working. It's like, why aren't you answering the phone? Why aren't you calling? Why aren't you coming by? So I'm always fascinated to hear what people's families think about their chosen path and what they've done or do or have done. And yeah, it's like, you know, they it, so it's yeah. just funny. I work a lot and, you know, I'd, I'd like to joke, you know, it, it may be an 80 hour job, but I can work any eight hours I want. <laughs> but, you, you know, that's if you love what you do, then you don't mind putting in the time, you don't mind putting in the effort. And when it's for a big project like this, yeah. oh, it doesn't matter what time of day or what, you know, you're just excited to be a part of a project like this. And that's that's where I'm at. Nice. Now, let's talk about because I, I joked around earlier about the squid in space, but that's not the only thing that you do. That's just sort of one of the projects that you were kind of spearheading and focus. What else does it's a, a big space... one though? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge one. It's absolutely a huge one. But what else does a space biologist do? You know, in right. So space biology is a little bit more about how do we keep humans alive in space, mm -hmm. but there's another area of NASA called astrobiology, and that's really asking big questions about how did life get here on the planet? Where is life in the universe and what happens in the future, you know? And so I've been working on a project um, called on stromatolites. These are 
rocks that are made by bacteria. And these are the oldest known ecosystems on the planet. And so they, um, once upon a time, they dominated the planet. They were everywhere, but now they're restricted to more extreme environments. And so I'm very interested in how they formed. Basically, I'm asking the question, it's not too far from the squid in a way. It's asking how microbes are communicating with their environment, whether that environment is the open ocean or whether that environment is in the belly of a squid. So um, it, it's, it's uh, I'm always fascinated in how microbes kind of make their way through the environment and how they change the environment because life, you know, has been constantly impacting the environment. And at the same time, the environment is changing life. And, and that yin and yang of, of that, that co-evolution of the environment and life has been something I've been really interested in. So NASA Astrobiology has been funding one of those projects and is funding. Um, and we're very, and the specific project is to start to characterize and understand all the unknown bacteria. We we have so many species on this planet that we just don't even know what, hardly anything about. Even in our own genomes, we only know what like half the genes do. So we have a lot of catch up to do on, on this kind of exploration of our own planet. And I'm helping to develop some new techniques that we can start to, in a high throughput capacity, start to characterize as many of these unknowns and figure out what are they doing in the environment? Why are they out there? And are they critical for an ecosystem to function? And so that's my other, the other half of me. Um, but lately the squid have been dominating just because we've kind of got the space flight coming up in two weeks. And um, yeah. that has really been, it turned into, it started off as a hobby, which is funny <laughs> because it started off as just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do this on the side. And then it has taken over because people are interested, the questions are interesting, yeah. and it might, it will hopefully help NASA answer and 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 take the next step as we leave low Earth orbit and go to the Moon and and hopefully Mars, um, where we can kind of start ans answering some big questions about um, human health in space. So, how are we going to get the squid into space? I mean, okay. it does, you don't put a spacesuit on the squid, I imagine. It's like they have little not... helmets, and uh, no, and then we feed the shrimp in there. Um, no, so they, it's bago squid. Um, we're working with a partner called TechShot, and they have developed a piece of hardware. It's it's um, actually I could show it to you. Yes, please. So this little device here, this hardware has all these little bags in it, um, as if you can see here. Yeah. And these bags are going to contain the squid. And wow. um, the squid, there's about 128 squid, not about, there will be wow. 128 baby squid that are gonna go into these little bags. And um, then uh, what happens is there's pumps all along the sides that will mm -hmm. pump in the bacteria. So the squid, are born without bacteria they are they have to acquire the bacteria from their environment just okay. like humans we acquire them from the back from the environment as well so we are going to send up bags of squid <laughs> send up bags of bacteria then mix them and then watch what happens and then we will capture uh we'll kind of take snapshots in time um of of the molecular dialogue that's happening between the the squid and the bacteria so we preserve those tissues bring them back to earth and then study 
how, what, what did they say to each other? What was the dialogue and how are they communicating? And, you know, are there any kind of new things that happened? Because squid have never seen microgravity before. That's a pretty new stress. So it's not like they know exactly what to do. So they're going to be turning genes on, turning genes off, and we're going to capture that and see if there's something really unique about that stress, something we've never seen before, um, and how the bacteria and the animals are talking to each other. Do they stay in this pod the entire time that they're Yeah, in space? They, they're all they contained. They're, you don't want, you know, you would never want octopus or squid like flying around the spacecraft. On, on you know, I, I always joked that, you know, if they ever flew an octopus, you would have to, you, you just, they'd be opening hatches and stuff. <laughs> It'd be like space station comes crashing down because of Paul the cephalopod, the octopus. But um, you know, it's just you don't want them going into space. But um, yes, they're all triple contained, so you okay. won't have uh, squid, uh, you know, flying around um, un unattended. <laughs> Although that would be awesome and a great. Yeah, movie. I'm sure there's a there's a B movie out there somewhere. You know, snakes on the plane, squid on the ISS. So I mean, um, they can make Sharknado. They can make this happen. Yeah, Samuel. So. Jackson might get a call. Who knows? <laughs> um, how long are they in space for? How long do they stay there? They're going to be there for a month or so. Now, the experiment itself is very short. It'll be over within a day. Okay. Um, we just kind of get them going because we're really interested in those early stages like when the bacteria how do the bacteria find their way when there's no gravity around how are they tracking into the right place inside the squid's body to to colonize so it's a very short experiment but then the astronauts will take the bags out and um, everything will go in the freezer um, and then we'll return the samples back in a month or so so we'll have everything back in a month and then we'll be able to kind of process the samples and really uh, look at uh, this chemical dialogue, this this genetic dialogue that's happening. Now, for, for this chemical dialogue, you're processing it now. You've you know here we are a month later. Um, what would set you ablaze and be like, hold up, I got to call somebody? Like what what exactly? <laughs> it, what what could you potentially find in there? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's small incremental steps. But what would absolutely just make it just be like okay? classes dismissed for the rest of the month i i, I got yeah. stuff to do <laughs> yeah so we so in in that 10 year gap you know between the last flight and this flight we did a lot of ground experiments we did what we call simulated microgravity where we simulate the effects of that free fall exper experience on the squid so when we did that we found a really interesting result and we found that when the squid are sent into this kind of stress environment with no bacteria they turn on all these it's a very their genes they're they're very stressed out they're producing have you ever heard of oxidants like oxidative stress um that's maybe you've heard of eating blueberries because they have uh, antioxidant properties well you're yeah. trying to control oxygen radicals that are damaging your tissues okay. and um when they're when they don't have the right microbes all these very oxidative environmental stressful full conditions happen however when they have the right microbes present it starts off, you start seeing like the first 12 hours or so, you, you see the same response. Oh gosh, we're going to turn on all our stress responses. And then the bacteria come in, they're like, hey, chill out. It's okay, Squiddy. I'm here. I'm going to control everything for you. And then all of a sudden, by 24 hours, 
they've kind of calmed. It's like they just ate all their blueberries and now they have no no oxidative stress response. They're, they're kind of, the bacteria are regulating, they're controlling their stress responses okay. for the for the animals. And so if we're going to try to replicate that, because we, we just think that it's just further evidence of how important our natural microbiome, our natural microbes are to helping us control and regulate our immune systems, regulate our stress responses. And so that's something I'm really excited to see if we can replicate that in the real spaceflight environment. Is that just an artifact of something that we did on the ground or is that real? And so those are the kind of things like how helpful are microbes in regulating these kinds of stress responses in the animal. And that's something I'm going to look for. And, and I'll be really excited if we can find that. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you guys because I, I find this so fascinating. And while I know that I will probably never understand the science behind it, I'm always fascinated to find out what is discovered, you know, what new... Yeah, healthy technique or life-saving technique is potentially discovered um, on one of these, you know, researches. And it's just amazing. So I, I love it. Now, let's come back to Earth a little bit. Um, okay. Although I do love the squid in space. But, you know, these, mi these, micro these microbes that are mm -hmm. all around us, all in our environment, um, is disturbing them, is researching them potentially hazardous to us? Like you say, it, it unbalancing the ecosystem potentially how could that affect us on the ground you know maybe mm -hmm. not immediately but how what does that do overall to the environment and not only the environment but the species that are in the in that ecosystem that we may not be aware of which in turns affects us at some point in our lives the vast, vast majority of microbes out there are beneficial for us. I mean, they're beneficial in, in ways of, of helping our own health directly, or they're beneficial in their helping cycling nutrients in the environment and help keeping our ecosystems in check. We call that biogeochemical cycling. They're keeping the carbon, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, all those essential elements in, in, in check. Um, all through the environment, all different kinds of environments. So the vast majority of microbes on the planet are, are helping us either directly or indirectly, or we're using them in technological ways. Um, I mean, we have bacteria to thank for, for uh, PCR, though the ability to make copies of DNA for, for the COVID uh, outbreak, the pandemic. I mean, testing every single person who got a COVID test in the last year have bacteria to thank for that because it was uh, the discovery of how bacteria make copies of their DNA enabled, uh, it's called TAC polymerase, it enabled us to make cheaply more and more copies of DNA. So, so we have technological, economic, uh, environmental, uh, all of that, you know, benefits from bacteria and studying bacteria. That's why it's so important to study the microbiology and the microbiome, even of our whole planet. And you're absolutely right, though, that, you know, everywhere humans go, we're bringing our microbes with us, whether it's into the International Space Station or into our kitchens. And so understanding what we, we call it the microbiome of the built environment, understanding the dynamics of how microbial communities are changing just in our everyday work environment or our homes, uh, all of that's really important. And I think that's a new frontier for microbiology um, of how can we control that? How can we improve our health by maybe changing the microbes around us? And maybe we can control that a little bit more. 
Um, but the the work we're doing in space, even though we're you know the the primary goal is to help astronaut health, all those lessons that we learn are so translatable for Earth here because the one thing we can't do is remove gravity, and by gravity might be hiding a lot of ways that bacteria and animals talk to each other. So by removing gravity we can learn a whole bunch of new ways and pathways and communication mechanisms that microbes might be talking to animals with or plants we can do the same thing with plants so i think that there's so many of the lessons that we learn in space directly translatable for our health our environments our homes here on earth that's exciting i, I i'm that's actually very exciting it's like funny um because one of the things that my wife and i always talk about like we're always looking at the news and you know with all the vaccines that came out over this last year, several months, et cetera. You know, it's like one of the things that we were looking at is like the whole mRNA sequencing and how mm -hmm. that came to be. And so we're always fascinated by things that we don't understand, which is a lot. Um, right. But it's, it's very exciting to hear from someone like yourself what they're working on, because it's just like, there's so much going on that we don't understand that we don't know it's out there. Everyone thinks space is just, you know, Elon Musk. Um, now right. they do anyway. Um, but it's just like, no, it's so much more. It's an actual science. This is so much more than that. And it's not just space, it's earth because it's so related to each other. And I love to hear so much about this um i don't want to take up too much of your time because i know how busy you are and that you're working on things more important than this podcast so i'm very grateful to you but what do you want to leave people with about yourself um the, your research that maybe you want to just clear up this last misconception for people like myself that you know think squids going to space is just you know another way to like you know send aliens to space or something but yeah it's not like noah's ark and then we got down to s and it's time to send the the squid to space there are real um health benefits for this and and invest when you invest in nasa and when you invest in these kinds of experiments you're investing in your own health you're investing in your own in new technologies because you know i i'm in this for the the scientific knowledge benefits for sure i mean that's my personal you know what i want to get out of this but there are real economic benefits. I mean, it may take, you know, a decade or two to fully manifest all the potential. Like, for example, I go back to the PCR that we're using to detect COVID in, in a person. That technology, I mean, it was a scientist uh, looking at Yellowstone National Park two decades ago that discovered that enzyme that is allowing this to happen. So it took two decades to revolutionize our criminal justice system, to revolutionize our human health because we can, this one, you know, protein that was found in a bacterium. So I would just say that there's so much we can learn from these kinds of experience that will directly affect you or your children or your grandchildren and that um, science is an investment. And I hope if I this can be in, these kinds of experiments can be inspirational to get more students involved. I mean, that's why I think Elon Musk, what he's doing is amazing because I think he's inspiring this whole next generation of kids, you know, the millennials, the Gen Zs, the, the next generation to get involved and get more active in science, whether it's space science or environmental science. I just would love to see more students um, become involved in what we call STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, because there's 
this is the future. This is how we're going to solve all our, our climate change problems, our technology problems through science. And I hope more people get involved. And I think that experiments like Squid in Space can engage people, can get their curiosity um, into the sciences. So that's what I hope to get out of this for myself. Nice. I, I'm others. excited. And I think you will. Um, finally, can you let people know where they can follow you, find you, reach out to you if they want to learn more about space biology and the Squid in Space program? I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you can Google me um, at Jamie Foster Squid and I come up. But you can also follow my Instagram account. I have Foster the Squid on Instagram. And I'm showing a few of the kind of the historical timeline of how the squid first went to space. And as we gear up for launch, some photos are coming out about the upcoming launch. So if you want to stay in, in, in touch with how the experiment's going, uh, follow me on Instagram. Excellent. Dr. Jamie Foster, thank you so much for joining me. I am immensely grateful for you enlightening me because I really did learn a lot and I'm so grateful. Great. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.